Hello, everyone, and hello, humans, and welcome to Not a Robot's Marvel Comics Weekly Review Show. Today, we're going to be doing some review, uh, some lightning. Today we're going to be doing some lightning reviews on some of the stuff that we've missed in the past few weeks of reviewing. And we're also going to be covering Moon Knight number one, Spider Shadow number four, Guardians of the Galaxy number 16, Thor number 15, Captain Marvel number 30, Sinister War number one, and Gamma Flight number two. My name is Kirk, and my mission, like Moon Knight's, is also justice. <laughs> and I am joined, as always, by the esteemed Brandon. Hello, everybody. My name is Brandon, and I'm the best there is at what they do, or what I do. What I do is review comics. <laughs> you got that right. Uh, we're here to read, rank, uh, critique, and trash talk all, all of Marvel's comic releases uh, with no bias from uh, from the publishers. If you <laughs> like us, on, if you like our show, you can find us on Twitter at not a robot comics you can find me on twitter at kirk Opko, and we answer show mail sent to not a robot comics at gmail.com and before we dive in i just want to say thank you to all our patreon supporters who help out with a dollar more a month and thank you to our listeners too like download and share our episodes so we can get more listeners and bring you more of the content you love you can get access to our patreon and the rest of the not a robot podcast shows at not a robot podcast.com so brandon it's been a while has anything, has. has anything big hit the news before we uh, start diving into the comics? Uh, geez. Uh, well, I, I gotta, I gotta think back. It feels like there's, there's been a lot of stuff going on, but, um, uh, um well, uh, at, at, at least most recently, we got the uh, Marvel October solicitations, which have a lot of uh, interesting things in them, um, namely some very interesting covers, which I shared with uh, some of the guys in our Marvel channel. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that these in particular will be leading to some very interesting developments for both the X-Men and, and Black Panther and, and other characters in the Marvel Universe. And we've also gotten some more context as well as covers for um, the big Amazing Spider-Man 75 it's kicking off the new uh, thrice monthly uh, era of Spider-Man that will be starting in uh, October. So a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, that's for this week. I I'll have to think back a little more uh, in terms of the past few weeks. But what about you, Kirk? What, uh, what's new? Um, well, since we uh, last reviewed, I think uh, Black Widow, the movie, has hit everyone's... Yes. Uh, release radar uh some of you may have had a chance to see it in an actual theater because uh, did. the pandemic is ending or coming to a close in a lot of different countries right now uh, mm. and theaters are allowed to reopen uh and those of you who didn't might have had the chance to see it on disney plus uh so that was exciting it is our first official phase four mcu film yeah which is really exciting um did you enjoy the movie? I don't know. We're not a MCU review show, so. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, I saw it with a, a couple friends, and um, it was definitely a little surreal to be, you know, in a movie theater after basically a year, because the last time I had been to the movies was January of 2020. So um, it, it was it was kind of weird at first, just like not being at home and and watching, you know, a, a new release. Um, 
because literally all the new releases that went straight to streaming, I was just I was watching them at home. Like mm-hmm. you know, I saw Tenet at home. Um, we saw what was it? I think Soul at home. Like all the all these different movies, we just you know watched at home, and it just kind of became the norm. So it was definitely a little strange, but um, yeah, I would say it was it was pretty decent. Um, I mean, I I can't say that I absolutely loved it, but you know, I I would say for something that um, is in theaters, it, it it was serviceable enough. I, I I do think this is a film that feels like it should have and and would have come out about six years ago when they were doing a lot of these Phase One films. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it felt very, I don't know, like within that that grouping and and it just felt kind of weird to have all this stuff after after endgame and all these new shows and everything um so yeah that that was how i ended up feeling how about you yeah i really uh i enjoyed it for what it was but i really Mm -hmm. saw it as um just long overdue i i feel like it's its stakes were set in a way that it was it it is it feels unfair to compare it uh to some of the marvel movies that we had since mm-hmm. you know cuz we had big event movies that were deeply tied with you know the end of the infinity saga yeah and then we had uh far from home talking about tony's death a lot and showing mm-hmm. a lot of you know you know the stakes being upped and even that movie did tease the concept of a multiverse in its plot. Mm-hmm. And then, so this one, it feels like the stakes because it's back before infinity. It's way after civil war mm-hmm. is when this one takes place. And it's just sort of, I felt lit some of the air out of its own tires with that. Mm-hmm. And aside from one brief scene, it doesn't even really do much to acknowledge. Like we had a whole movie about a world without Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. this movie about Natasha didn't really do much to show any reverence to the world without Natasha. Yeah. Cause she did, she, she died in the same movie. Mm-hmm. And so that was a little off putting. Yeah. But I did enjoy the movie. It had a lot of good stuff to it. And I'm excited. I really do enjoy Yelena as a character. Yeah, I definitely thought she was probably like Florence Pugh as as Yelena Belova was definitely the the best part of the film for for me. Um, mm-hmm. Really, just bringing a lot of much needed energy and and fun uh, to the movie. Yeah, the um, her being an ongoing part of the MCU, I think she got a strong start in this movie. Mm. But aside from other news, I don't know that anything else has hit my radar. Uh, but yeah, it has been a while, so obviously we're missing stuff. So remember to reach out to us if there's anything glaring that we need to uh, cover. Hit us up on on the socials, and we can or send us show mail. Yeah, please can, do. <laughs> and we'll happily weigh in on uh, all the great Marvel news. Yeah, and any anything that we might have missed. Um... Because, you know, like we said, it, it has been a while, but you know, we're happy to talk about this stuff. 
Um, but I suppose it's time to dive in to our docket of reviews. And this week we're going to start with Moon Knight number one. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Moon Knight number one comes to us from writer Jed McKay with art by Alessandro Capuccio with color by Rochelle Rosenberg and lettering by Corey Petit. Mm. Um, Moon Knight number one kicks off um, another Moon Knight saga. And we've had, I think we've had a few Moon Knight number ones in the past few years, or at least I remember there being a handful of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this serves as once again, a bit of a starting point for who Moon Knight is. It's a little bit of explanation, um, a, a bit of his, you know, it recaps his experiences uh, of dying and being resurrected by Khonshu. It loosely touches on the Khonshu event that happened in um, Aaron's Avengers last year. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it starts to explain sort of the dissociative identity disorder that um, Moon Knight has as he's, you know, we see him as the persona of Mr. Knight engaging in essentially therapy. Yeah. Love to see that come back. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and it even does acknowledge some of the, the past Moon Knight therapy ended up quite disastrously Uh for him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then we also see, you know, the the midnight mission, his uh, him creating an actual, I'm going to call it a center for street justice. <laughs> I feel like that's a fair way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And Moon Knight in this, he is he's continuing his. Uh, his journey to protect those who travel at night. And so he, mm-hmm. we see him, he fights some crime, defeat some vampires. Uh, and we definitely see his, uh, his reputation growing mm-hmm. in, in this region. And yeah, I, as an issue number one, I, I quite liked it. It, it covered all its bases and it did introduce what looks to be two threats that are going to come to Moon Knight in this saga. Mm-hmm. And I, and I like both of them uh, because we, we are introduced to a, to a person who moves into his neighborhood and is also familiar with Khonshu and the teachings of the Moon Knight. Uh, and his growing concern that Moon Knight let some vampires live uh, and now works with a vampire who was turned against her will, you know, that Moon Knight is seeing that justice, mm-hmm. seeing that as justice, but this other follower of Khonshu sees this as sort of a crime against their way. Mm-hmm. As well as we are introduced to a, a shadowy figure who wants to destroy the Midnight Mission. And, and yeah, it, it's good. It sets up the stakes. It does a little more introductory work as a number one on a character who, unless you read a lot of comics, people sort of, who is Moon Knight is a question I've heard yeah. multiple times before. Exactly. Um, but one thing that I absolutely have to praise this issue for is Moon Knight in his, he, they really kept his like massively overdrawn effect 
Like, there is so much line work and detail on Moon Knight done by Alessandro Capuccio mm-hmm. that literally makes him stand out against every environment he's put in in this issue. Mm-hmm. Where the art on many of the other characters is simplistic. Not simplistic. That sounds negative. I don't mean it that way. It's one style. Moon Knight feels overwhelming in his presence because of how much work is put into his visage. Yeah, and I don't even... I think um, I think you saying simplistic isn't, isn't a bad thing at all. You know, because, I mean, a lot of minimalist art is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I think... Uh, Capuccio is, is kind of demonstrating that here like you know a lot can be left out or put into a scene that still makes it incredibly dynamic um, and I mean there's a scene of, of Moon Knight and you know his psychiatrist just kind of sitting on a bench and it's incredibly simple but it's it's absolutely gorgeous in the way that it's colored and in the way that it's you know illustrated in a, in a dynamic way um, so I, I definitely agree with that. I, I thought it was a, a book that was actually kind of remarkable in how the artist was able to convey these emotional quiet moments with you know his psychiatrist, but also really dynamic when you know Moon Knight's kind of going around um, and, and beating up the uh, different like vermin people um, and, and all that other stuff. And so... Yeah, it just it's it was definitely really impressive that they was kind of able to bring all of this to the table, uh, as well as you know an engaging story. Um, so I, I I'm I, I don't know about you, like I'm not I, I I would not say I'm the biggest follower of Moon Knight. He's just kind of a character that I will, you know, I'll, I'll I will read a Moon Knight story if there is an interesting creator attached or if there is. Um, some kind of interesting premise around it, um, and the, the really the only Moon Knight runs that I've read. This probably goes for a lot of people too. Is you know the the Jeff Lemire run with Greg mm-hmm. Smallwood, just because that one is is gorgeous and um, really good. And then the run that kind of precedes that one, um, which is the one by uh, Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby, um, and that one is is short but good. So. Like I said, my exposure to the character is not very deep. I'll really only read it if there's something interesting to me. But I, I know for me, the big draw was just kind of, you know, this art style. Um, and it, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it has an interesting story to match. So um, I'm hoping that they can continue this interesting direction with, uh, with everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I really, I like this as an issue one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited for it to pick up yeah. and I kind of hope it doesn't slow down. Cause I think Moon Knight to me, what's great about certain, like, the Moon Knight parts that I've enjoyed mm-hmm. is I enjoy the same parts of Moon Knight that I enjoy about Batman. And I know people compare those two characters a lot, even though I think they're quite different. Yeah. But it's when he doesn't have a chance to slow down. Mm. Um, like I like the the touches of like his uh, his therapy and exploring his psyche, mm-hmm. but I also love love him as as a character when he is getting pushed to the wall, because that's when the the cracks that they've built into his character really mm-hmm. start to show, and it lets him really rise to to his narrative. So yeah, and with this sort of 
um, right hand of Khonshu coming into play. Mm. I'm excited to see that version of Moon Knight struggle with, again, more of his identity when there might be another Moon Knight now. Yeah, it looks like it. Um, so I gave Moon Knight number one, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I, uh, I gave this an 8.25 out of 10. I thought it was just a really, really solid and really engaging debut. And, and I think the art is definitely a big factor in that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely gorgeous comic. Mm-hmm. All right. So now from Moon Knight number one, we're going to slide on over to the continuation of a what if saga that we've been covering with Spider-Man Spider's Shadow number four. Uh, this one is brought to us by writer Chip Zdarsky with art by Pascal Ferry, color by Matt Hollingsworth uh, and lettering by Joe Caramagna. And I'm going to pass this one over to Brandon. My pleasure. Um, yeah, so this is part four of five. Uh, I guess it, originally it was a four-issue series, but they extended it for another chapter. So we've got one more to go before we're done. Um, but this issue picks up exactly where the last one left off. Pete has finally managed to disentangle himself from the symbiote, but only in time for the cops and everyone else to show up, knowing that... Uh, the venomous Peter Parker had ended up here after murdering the entire Sinister Six, or at least most of the Sinister Six, uh, excluding Jonah. Um, but Pete and uh, Mary Jane and uh, others are trying to figure out what would be the best plan for him to make sure that he can get away to safety without putting the rest of them in danger. And Pete decides that he needs to go to see Reed Richards, who had been working and experimenting with the suit to hopefully find a way uh, to properly resolve the situation. Um, J. Jonah Jameson gives some bluster, as is expected, but Pete basically tells him to go home, that, you know, this is a situation that only Spider-Man can deal with. So as Pete and Mary Jane are swinging towards the Baxter building, Pete and uh, MJ have a a real heart-to-heart moment, uh, uh, definitely a sweet one, where... MJ really kind of confides in him that it's not necessarily his entire fault that he let the suit overcome him. He's not perfect. He's not this paragon and he shouldn't try and live up to that legacy. He made a mistake and let himself get overwhelmed in his emotions and that's perfectly okay. Uh, But uh, apparently Pete is entirely too late as the Baxter building has been entirely enveloped in a black venomous goo seemingly taken over by the symbiotes as we saw in the last issue. Uh, as Reed Richards had been entirely affected. Uh, At the same time, the Avengers, and might I add the entirely decked out 80s Avengers, which was a (laughs) a, a fun callback, um, show up to try and investigate the best way to handle the situation. Uh, And Pete is the one who is basically saying that he is the one who is best fit to take over the situation. Cap is unsure at first because he feels that Pete was particularly weak to the symbiote at the first time but pete is able to convince cap that he is the best person for the job uh, but as pete enters the baxter building he is accompanied by two others mj and johnny storm who decide that he cannot go this alone and they decide that 
The only way that they're going to free everyone else is if they all work together. Pete's a little frightened and worried about what's going on, but Johnny and the others are still moving ahead, ready to do what they need to do. Johnny is uh, quickly encountered by the uh, thing who is totally venomized and infected, uh, while Pete is uh, also having to deal with the thing. And um, they basically work together to try and stop the thing, but uh, unfortunately, after Pete knocks the thing out of the building, or out of the Baxter building, uh, it really only serves his plans as Ben uses that opportunity to infect all of the other heroes who were on the scene. Uh, Johnny, meanwhile, has gone off to get Reed Richards in the hopes of using his big brain to find a way to deal with the situation, only to find that Reed himself has also been infected. And seemingly his plan of using the symbiotes as he is infected has worked. Uh, and even though he tries to use his armor or it tries to use his fire to dispatch uh, Reed Richards, Reed reveals that he has an armor that has been blocking any kind of heat activity uh, from damaging him. And it appears that really everything has just ended up in a, a not so great place, uh, particularly now as Pete has to now face off against all the rest of the symbiote-infected heroes. Uh, MJ is trying to face off against the symbiote-infected Reed Richards. And, well, as you know, all the other heroes are still infected by the symbiote and they have to figure out a way to come out of this without being, well, murderers, essentially. And that's where our, our issue ends with a, a big, dramatic shift for all the characters involved. Um, I had to be honest, I had read the third issue and um, I had kind of forgotten about this series for a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't think it was bad in any sense. It just, it kind of, I think I was, I was just reading so many other books that it just kind of came and went for me. But this issue really pulled me back in um, and, and especially a lot of the great scenes with MJ uh, and Pete and Pete and Cap and um, seeing Pete really struggle with having been taken over and controlled by the symbiote and watching it just wreak havoc on all the other heroes was just a, just a really great moment. Or all these really great moments combined together in this issue. Um, and, and it was just a, a really satisfying uh, read. And I think having all the other heroes, you know, decked out in their 80s attire, you know, uh, Cyclops and, and Iron Man have their 80s suits and um, Sue is, has her kind of like 80s hair and even She-Hulk has like the jazzercise, you know, purple costume that she used to wear. <laughs> it was just really nice to see. And so I think all of this kind of came together for a, a really solid issue that definitely, you know, pulled me back in. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this, this series is going to wrap up. But um, I, I feel like this is a of series that'll definitely warrant a reread at some point just because um you know i'm worried that like issue three it just kind of got overshadowed by other books that i was you know maybe giving more attention to at the time but is you know it's still a really good book and, and i want to make sure it gets its credit so um, i definitely enjoyed it how did you feel yeah i really liked this issue it did a lot to show a a more complex version not only the original premise of this series was to show a more complex version of Peter giving into the symbiote. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, what I wasn't expecting from this series that we've got a lot in this issue was the more complex version of Peter, the the Peter that we know coming mm-hmm. to terms with the things he did as the symbiote. Yeah. Because we that that's a famous piece of Peter Parker's character is knowing that the symbiote did use him and made him angrier and made him less of a hero in his mm-hmm. own eyes. And we've seen him express that guilt and we've seen him like even recently at the end of King and Black express guilt that he believed that everything King and Black was happened was still related to him bringing that symbiote and him setting the stage for what would become Venom and Carnage and Null eventually. Yeah. So we've seen him carry that guilt for a long time, but seeing him carry the guilt after the symbiote made him literally kill, literally cross lines that he's not comfortable with and that he's not happy that he did. Um, I liked seeing that. I liked seeing him explain to Cap like that he, he knows the suit and he needs to go in and fight the suit. And Cap is like, well, don't let it get you again. Like, mm-hmm. and then um, the monologue that he's giving as he's, after he's fought the thing and he's, you know, he, he's barely got, I think he's just got his gloves on like yeah. from his costume. And he's mostly just Peter Parker. And he's desperately trying to fight the thing. And he's talking about how he can feel everything that it's doing. He can still feel all of his emotions. And it's a really emotional read on Peter's character, which I really wasn't expecting to find in this issue. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I I quite enjoyed it. And um, the other thing that I'm deeply curious about, because Marvel does do this type of thing on occasion, Sometimes it's just a random what if comic, but sometimes there's there's another piece to it that we might see come up later. Mm-hmm. Uh, the recent Venom arc uh, had a moment, or the recent Venom run had a moment where the maker used a symbiote to cross back over into the Ultimate Universe. Oh, interesting. The maker has, so a version of Reed Richards mm-hmm. has taken a symbiote to universe 1610. Yeah. And we do see uh, in Venom 200 or 35 or whichever, however you want to call it, mm-hmm. Eddie Brock is warning the Avengers. He knows that the maker's reckoning might come back to bite them in the ass. Mm-hmm. And we see him warning Krakoa. We see him warning the Silver Surfer. So we see that. We know it's coming. We know Marvel has something planned. Whether that's in the new Venom run that's starting by uh, Al Ewing. Is, is it Al yeah. Ewing? Yeah, um, Al Ewing and uh, Ram V. Yeah, so whether it's the new Al Ewing Venom that's going to explore that. Or it's going an event that's going to come up later in the Avengers. Or it's mm-hmm. next year's event. We're just starting to get the tease of it now. Um, but between all of that going on, we have Spider Shadow showing us a symbiote infected Reed Richards in another mm-hmm. alternate universe. Mm-hmm. I I can't help but feel that they that they're laying some groundwork for for what the maker did and what the maker might do. Mm-hmm. So like I'm I'm seeing a pattern, you know, and sometimes it's just you know, conspiracy theory and it doesn't come to anything, but 
you know, I, I'm not, I'm not against what they're, what they're laying out. Um, and how Reed was behaving with the symbiote attached to him in this issue was really interesting. Oh yeah. Because, um, I don't know. I always find it really interesting the way different people bond with the symbiotes in some of these like better written symbiote comics. Because mm-hmm. when when we see Peter Parker famously as a symbiote, we see him giving into his own like lesser whims. Like he he becomes more violent. He becomes less forgiving. Yeah. Reed, someone who is famously a genius, in this version was depicted as someone who the symbiote got to use all of Reed's intelligence, but seemingly none of Reed's desires got in its way. Yeah, no, it, it really just kind of asserts control. Uh, exactly. It gets, we get that moment of the symbiote saying like, Johnny, I, I can tell Reed cares for you. It would be a shame mm-hmm. to kill you. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so Reed doesn't get a say like, cause that's very different from how, yeah, it's 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 like uh, it's really it's really not a um, a relationship at all. It's yeah, it's really just control about control in this case. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really interesting, and I love these explorations of concepts. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you'll hear me uh, complain maybe in a couple issues or a couple reviews, and going forward on some of these events about being a little symbioted out. <laughs> But I feel like the, it just doesn't quite apply here. I'm. This is an interesting take on symbiotes, I think, rather than some of the. Some of the events that we get where they're just about symbiotes as a concept. This, yeah. This is showing at least a more interesting aspect on what the symbiotes are doing, or what they can do to characters that we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I would say a more uh, uh, emotionally focused one, um, as opposed to just like you know the big spectacle or just kind of a general invasion type story like this is really kind of getting into the character work especially with peter and and all of those he's closely involved with so that's what i really love about it Mm -hmm. yeah so i ended up giving this one an 8.25 out of 10 nice yeah i gave this one an 8.5 out of 10 awesome um so next on our list, we have Guardians of the Galaxy number 16. Uh, this one comes to us by way of uh, a not-a-robot favorite writer, Al Ewing, <laughs> with artist Juan Frigeri, color by Federico Blee, and lettering by Corey Petit. Mm-hmm. And this one kicks off right where the Guardians 15 ended with Dormammu, a planet-sized Dormammu being birthed out of an egg that was Ego the Living Planet. Yeah. Like, there was a lot going on in the steps leading up there. So if you're behind on Guardians of the Galaxy, I highly recommend starting... uh, Brandon, do you remember exactly which issue sort of ended the Olympian saga and started this new chapter in the guardians was that issue 13 or issue 12 yeah that would have been 13 they did kind of a a little relaunch where the guardians are now basically working with you know the kree scroll alliance and are like a sanctioned team basically yeah so if you're behind on those i highly recommend checking those out 
Um, mm-hmm. It's been sort of a wild ride for the past couple of comics. Oh, yeah. Uh, this comic, uh, in what I can summarize as it stands, it's, it's mostly focused on different groups of them fighting the mindless ones that Dormammu summons to begin his annihilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge hordes of mindless ones pour out and start attacking the guardians. They attack the ships. Uh, we see Drax and Mantis in one ship trying to fight them off. We see um, Gamora and Rocket in their ship. It gets horribly attacked and they need to be saved by... Shoot, is it Quasar? Yeah. Um, and then we see way back on Mars where uh, Star-Lord and Nova have just attended the Planet Size X-Men event. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And have learned about Mysterium, the new metal that is going to probably come up a few more times in Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see them needing to alert Sword about what has happened because this is a big deal. And we see Nova do the the human rocket thing to light speed in and save the day. Mm-hmm. Of course. And then outside of just a handful of fight scenes um, against Mindless Ones to really put into scope of like how in trouble they are. Um, the only other like thing of note is it, it continues a little bit of Hulkling and Wiccan's struggles from, from empire really, because they mm-hmm. haven't touched on it much since of being the empire emperor of the Cree and Skrull Alliance. It's, they have to play a fiercely political game. Otherwise one of the most fragile and potentially powerful militaries in history will crumble down around them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we see Wiccan and Hulkling struggle with the decisions they have to make as leaders of this new alliance. And the comic ends with them realizing that they have to overturn one of the big decisions they made at the end of Empire, which is they have to release Captain Glory onto the battlefield. Oh man, yeah, that's a, it's a big move. It is, and I love Captain Glory as like a as like a piece that they're using in this. Mm-hmm. Like they, he, because he really he he screwed them over in Empire. He was a villain. Um, he he betrayed them. He lied to them. Mm-hmm. Um. But he's also an extremely powerful asset. And so he really represents like a very big sort of uh, ongoing concept of a threat to uh, to Hulkling in his role mm-hmm. as Emperor. And I hope whether it's in Guardians or whether they move the the Hulkling, the Kree Skrull drama into another run later on in the future, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see it play out. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um It'll, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Captain Glory can get some kind of redemption or something like this. Like, it, I, I'm, I'm wondering how that, that arc is going to play out um, if they are so desperate that they feel like they have to call on him to basically come and help save against, you know, save the day against Dormammu and the Mindless Ones. Um, is there going to be, you know, some kind of pardon or they're just going to throw him back in jail or... You know, what what will the case be and how will that affect him? So that was definitely a really cool reveal um, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really cool that they're bringing him back. 
the only other things I have to add on this issue is even though they're fighting mindless ones, the art is still incredible. Mm. Uh, Juan Frigeri is doing such a great job. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, yeah, the comic is good. The, the writing is great. Like Al Ewing is nailing the guardians and with a team this big, like it's going to be easy for some of these characters to get lost in the shuffle. But we're still seeing, you know, they're still taking a page here or there to show the struggles between Hulkling and Wiccan. A page here to show uh, Star-Lord dealing with, like, what he regularly has to deal with. With being a human who's not really a, 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 a Terran, <laughs> mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Because they talk about, you know, the things that the mutants just did and nova asks about kitty and he's and star lord has to be like oh i guess it's kate now she, we, yeah. were, we were gonna meet on her boat uh i guess she has a boat now yeah like, it's like he's so out of the loop like he's so yeah he feels sort of these like small fits of sadness when he realizes that like he's not really like the people of earth mm-hmm. his concerns are almost never on the same level and he just gets to come back and find that everything constantly is changing. Yeah, yeah. But um, another another point that I noticed, or another moment that I noticed, and I don't know if you did, um, I don't know if you did too, but um, it feels like there may be some stuff going on with, with uh, old Richie Ryder and Gamora again. Mm. Definitely felt like a little bit of a flirtatious moment there. Um, particular where Rocket is just like, you know, he, he comes to basically save the day after the ship gets destroyed and um, you know, Rocket's just like kind of hanging on to his legs via the Nova Force and, you know, he very gingerly picks up Gamora and it, it felt like kind of a little bit of a heated moment there, but I don't, I don't know if you noticed that. Mm-hmm. I did, yeah. There, There's definitely something there and I think... I don't know. In the in the last two runs of the Guardians, we've seen Star Lord and Gamora's relationship take a couple different twists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we, we saw Gamora abandon them at the end of uh, what was it, Infinity? One of the Infinite storylines. Sorry, my. Mm-hmm. My my brain is not working this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, we saw, so we saw Gamora and Rocket abandon them, yeah. and then we saw Star Lord have to piece that team together, and then they were back together, but then it wasn't all the same. And then Star Lord dealing with what he has been fighting in the past while, mm. like I don't know. I feel like their relationship might take a turn, and it's going to give a perfect avenue for uh, for Ryder to come in and just stir enough drama to cause a problem oh yeah i'm sure but it, it, yeah it definitely feels like that was that may be the intent um because i know that there was that whole you know speech that gamora gave in i think issue 10 or 11 where she's just like you know it was easier for me to love pete because he was there and rich you weren't because you were always you felt like you had to go other places and just be away and it was so hard to be attached to that and it feels like Rich is kind of trying to make, you know, make up for that and 
he would redeem himself. Whereas now Pete, after having been in Mornius, is distant and kind of, you know, aloof and, and maybe a little bit harder for Gamora to be attached to that and for Pete to be attached to Gamora. So it feels like it's, it's leading to that place, but, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for Guardians, I gave this one a 7.75. It was it was good, and I can't wait to see where it's going. Um, but I think uh, I think this arc is going to be one to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and no, I ended up giving this one an 8 out of 10. It's a strong start for the Annihilation event. Um, and uh, and I'm definitely looking forward to, to see where it goes next. Sorry, give me one second. I just have to have to send kind of a urgent text. Oh yeah, take your time. I do also want to add, just because we were talking about it, there is a variant cover for Guardians of the Galaxy issue sixteen mm-hmm. uh, by um, Phil Jimenez. Yeah, that it's literally it shows Gamora like staring longingly at Star Lord's helmet. And it's Nova, like, hiding around the corner, crying, saying, Gamora, so blinded by love for Star-Lord, she can't see how much I love her. Yeah, no, it's um, oh, <laughs> such a such a great homage to, like, those old romance books that Marvel used to do in, like, the 50s. And so cheesy. It reminds me of one that um, they did in Daredevil during, I think it was, like, Ed Brubaker's run, where it really focused on Mila Donovan, who was matt's wife at the time and um it's yeah it's just like this really like corny cover he's just like oh i don't know what to do when matt's away and my heart swoons for him and it's just like <laughs> oh it's so ridiculous but it's hilarious yeah i love these cheesy covers yeah. um but they definitely know what they're doing with the nova gamora thing if they're making variants like this <laughs> yeah like they, they know they're hinting at something all right mm-hmm. Next on our list, let's go over to Thor issue 15, which starts the new Revelations Thor arc. Uh, This is brought to us by writer Donnie Cates with pencils by uh, Michelle Bandini, um, ink by Elisabetta D'Amico, color by Matt Wilson, and letter by Joe Sabino. Uh, So Brandon, I'm going to hand this one off to you. Perfect. Uh, Yeah, this uh, issue in particular is really focused on the, I guess, well, uh, like the title, Revelations that came with the last arc involving um, Donald Blake and everything else. And and in particular, um, uh, Thor's struggling uh, with Mjolnir. Uh, So this issue opens on the mighty halls of Asgard where the heroes are reveling and taking in drink and merriment as they have celebrated the defeat of Dr. Donald Blake and Asgard has returned to some form of sanity but Thor is kind of being a buzzkill is the nice way to say it Um, (laughs) everyone's having a good time and he is just being kind of grim Uh, Volstagg says something that really sets him off and kind of triggers some emotions for him and he kind of storms off into his room to confront Mjolnir as he is still struggling with 
managing its power. Um, but in this particular case, who should come to the rescue but uh, the man of the hour, Loki, who seemingly has no trouble at all lifting Mjolnir, which is something that he simply does not understand. Um, so what should Thor do if he wants to get these kinds of answers to try and figure out how to solve this problem? Well, you go to Midgard, of course, specifically to your friends, the Avengers, who are engaged in fierce combat with some kind of cyber robot monsters. In particular, Thor shows up as the deus ex machina, in this case as uh, Cap is basically like, hey, great to see you, man. You think you can give us a hand? And he literally wipes out all of them. Uh, <laughs> but in doing so, he requests an audience with Cap, hoping that he can find some way to deal with the problem at hand. But you can tell that Thor is really in a, a different place because he is not taking anything from anyone, particularly Iron Man, who, you know, had been having this fun prank war with uh, Thor over the past couple issues, but Odin's son is, is not really having it in this particular case. Uh, so he quickly goes off with Captain America to the Avengers mountain uh, after having Mjolnir have a very strange reaction uh, by almost taking Captain America's head off. Um, but while in Avengers Mansion, Avengers Mansion, Avengers Mountain, um, Thor is kind of laying down his, his latest feelings about immortality and the fact that the reason he enjoys so much time among the humans of Midgard, particularly the Avengers, is because these are the high points that he can remember as well as the fact that he's still glad that they're alive because these you know brief battles that they have are but mere moments in the long lifespan of a god, um, which is a, a really somber moment when you think about it. I mean, he's he is this eternal figure, and we you know we saw this in the previous run with Jason Aaron, where you know, he's been around since the Norse times. He's had so many crazy adventures all before he even knew any of the Avengers, and it's it's remarkable that he has spent so much time with them after living such a long life. But this is when he reveals that he thinks he understands the, the source of, you know, uh, Mjolnir's um, rejection of him. And that is the fact that Thor has accepted a new role as a king. And Mjolnir is a weapon for a warrior, a warrior of Asgard that can protect it at all costs. And that's what he has been throughout his entire life. But now, after having accepted the role of a king, he can't be that anymore. You know, he can't be this constant warrior and defender because he has to manage the day-to-day -day of Asgard. And as a result, Mjolnir seems to be, and this was my interpretation of it, calling for a new warrior, someone who can be, you know, this constant warrior of Asgard. So as of now, Thor is, quite dramatically, I might add, resigning his role as the protector of Asgard and leaving the role of Mjolnir to someone else. Uh, so I, I think this issue in particular did a, a pretty decent job, I would say, of exploring why Mjolnir's hammer or Mjolnir's um, like abilities aren't really working for Thor anymore. Um, because I know there was the whole thing where you know he had lost control of his hammer a while back, and then Jane Foster was Thor and everything. But I, I thought this was you know just kind of a clever way to say like 
this is what Mjolnir is. It serves as this you know, weapon for a warrior, but I can't really be that as a king because my priorities have to be you know, to the kingdom and not necessarily fighting on Midgard and all these crazy stuff. So I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, in terms of the art, I thought the art was, was really good, though there were a couple places where um, I thought the faces were a little weird, but the coloring on this series uh, in particular is just absolutely amazing. Matt Wilson mm-hmm. is doing just a, an incredible job at capturing the epicness and fantasy of it and um, every time he draws or every time you know there's lightning shown or anything like that it's it's really just brings the epicness of it um so yeah i I definitely would say that i enjoyed this issue you know it's kind of a i don't want to call it an exposition dump issue but it's it's kind of more of like a we're slowing down you know we had all that stuff with donald blake we're really just trying to focus on the the answers the revelations if you will um for for this series and we're just going to kind of take a break before we get into the the next big thing um so like i said i thought it was a pretty pretty solid read and i'm interested to see what further revelations come for thor down the line so i gave this one an 8.25 out of 10 Mm-hmm. Awesome. I gave this one an 8 out of 10. I really enjoyed this, and I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. Um, it, the, I think my only critique of it, and it's... I guess it's something that you kind of come, come to expect with Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. But Beta Ray Bill right now is going through his own sort of struggles to find his place as a warrior, his place now that he doesn't have his weapon anymore. Mm-hmm. And Thor having these struggles here and being willing to leave behind Mjolnir for whoever next to possess its powers, right? Yeah. It feels a little disingenuous that we were just reading an issue where Bill asked Thor for a hammer asked odin Mm -hmm. for a hammer and they were all like sorry bud sucks to be you yeah i know and then immediately thor seems to start an arc where he's gonna go and leave the hammer behind and it's either gonna be picked up by someone like jane foster or we're gonna get another uh another thor of some type when really he could have just handed it to someone who he knows is looking for a hammer and he knows last (laughs) he checked was worthy yeah like it's it just felt odd with the timing of having these two like i read beta ray bills issue number four very recently Mm. and he's still going on this quest of sort of self-discovery because he lost stormbreaker yeah um so it's just it felt weird to have thor go through this rather sudden like mjolnir has betrayed me because i am I no longer I must be a king. I can no longer be I can no longer wield it. So other than that, like I really I really like Thor's struggle. Mm-hmm. Um him talking about losing time, him talking about like the the notion of always being grateful to see the Avengers every time he returns to Earth. Yeah. Because he never knows if while he's been out gallivanting amongst the stars if it's been one year or a hundred yeah that's terrifying like that time just works so differently for immortals mm-hmm. um it's crazy it's so crazy especially because yeah i don't think asgard has even a remotely similar concept of night and day like 
to earth like so yeah, I, I have I mean, no idea what they would measure time by the passing of yeah no it's i mean it's like what what is a year to a god relative to us i would say um, mm-hmm. is that 10 years 100 years 1500 years a thousand years you know it's it's kind of crazy to think about which he kind of hinted at it at an earlier issue of, in an earlier issue of thor where um you know he talks about thor in this forgotten battle where he fought for like seven days or something crazy like that and you know the omniscient narrator basically says if you ask thor about it he would tell you he has no memory of it because this was just one of the things that he did right mm-hmm. but the, fa- the fact of the matter is that a god's life is so long that there's just so much that happens um and it's you know it's 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 basically like a human life amped up to a thousand basically because i mean if you ask someone who's 70 80 years old you know what it was like driving when they were i don't know 25 in july they probably won't i mean unless they have a really great story they probably won't remember all that much about it but it's it's almost like imagine that you know times ten thousand years Mm -hmm. and you even keep track of that much time yeah and it there's these moments in comics that really touch on what whether it's a god or different types of superpower or longevity or whatever mm-hmm. might do to notions such as memory and time and how you would even think about things in your day to day. Yeah. Um, it, it, like it reminds me there of uh, from the old Avengers Academy series when Taskmaster shows up mm. to fight um, his possible daughter. And he he talks about how because his superpower is constantly photographing reflexes, Mm -hmm. it actively deletes his memories. So he has no idea if she's actually his daughter. He's like, I don't remember a woman that you could be related to, but I don't remember last Tuesday. Yeah, it's crazy. So when we get comics like Thor and like Taskmaster and things like that, exploring like, you know, what these, these characters who are, you know, they, they're birthed from myth and from the ideas of just like paragons. What if you could do this? Mm. What if you could live a thousand lives? Um, and just what that would mean in terms of how we understand day-to-day concepts like memory. And it's just, it's just really cool to see that explored. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I, I dig it and I like what this issue uh, set up. I like, what it tried to do. So I gave it an eight out of 10. Cool. Yeah. And no, I, I also gave this one an eight out of 10. That was just a really, just really solid installment and definitely continuing some of the themes that were set up earlier, but also, you know, trying to push the story forward and, and just like a lot of good stuff. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next on our list is Captain Marvel number 30. Uh, So this is a bit of a uh, landmark issue. Um, As you will find if you read the the letter in the back of this issue, Captain Marvel, or a Carol Danvers Captain Marvel run has never hit issue 30 before. Uh, So this one making to issue 30 is pretty, a pretty big deal. And it's... Mm. So it's now the longest running Carol Danvers Captain Marvel run. And that's Ooh. really exciting. And like it doesn't it doesn't show a lot of sign of slowing down. 
uh, which is nice. They haven't announced that it's coming to an end at all. So I, I'm excited to see more of it. Mm-hmm. This issue is brought to us by writer Kelly Thompson uh, with art by Jamie McKelvey and Jacopo Kamani, color by Espen Grundetjern, and letter by Clayton Cowles. Yeah. And this issue sees the conclusion of the Captain Marvel uh, strange magic arc <laughs> that we've been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, with her, when she returned from the future and broke up with Rhodey, um, the biggest thing that she struggled with was in the future, she uh, she loses against the son of Enchantress and Namor, a powerful magic-using being by the name of... Uh, Ove, I think his name is? Mm-hmm. And... In the last issue, in issue 29, Captain Marvel had recovered a magical artifact at the behest of Enchantress because no one would teach her magic. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. Enchantress explains to her that this this artifact um, can be turned into a liquid that can be ingested. And it mm-hmm. does not give someone magic like Captain Marvel has been desperately trying to find. It instead makes them incredibly resistant to the effects of magic in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, which is not what Carol was going for. Uh, however, Enchantress then also explains that this liquid, if drank by a magic user, would essentially cut them off from magic. Yeah. Uh, which would be very, very terrible for many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Carol then accidentally thinks about how she's planning on using this to defeat her son. And Enchantress reads her mind at that exact moment, just in, with enough time to cause mayhem. And then Ove shows up and they they get into a big fight and Carol is fighting Enchantress and Ove and losing and War Machine shows up to help Carol uh, because Doctor Strange told Rhodey that she was in trouble. Mm -hmm. And they fight and it leads to Carol tricking Ove into drinking the serum. Cutting himself off from magic. Interesting. And he freaks out, uh, and Enchantress freaks out, and they retreat because he he's now essentially been stripped of a sense. It was like she blinded him or deafened him permanently. Like he's he is distraught. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this, and then the the arc ends with her talking to Doctor Strange and him explaining that what she did is taboo in the magic community. Many of the magic community believe that she has crossed a a mortal sin. That the taking magic away from a magic user is something that no one should do. Yeah. Um, and that she might have made some powerful enemies in the magic community by crossing that line. Interesting. And she has to come to this sort of realization that everything she's been doing here was to prevent a future from coming to pass a future where she loses to Ove's magic 
and the world goes into a dark timeline and Rhodey has a daughter that with someone else and all of those things and Captain or Carol has to come to terms with the fact that she may have just prevented that timeline entirely or she may have done exactly what she does that makes that timeline come to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but in it, she ends up getting back together with Rhodey and sort of dealing with how things are and how things are going to be sort of being in the air. Like she, uh, we're seeing a, a sort of a return to Carol having struggles with how much of the future do you want to know and how much of knowing that future prevents or makes it come to pass. Yeah. Uh, which we definitely saw a bit of in civil war too. Um, then it's with a special sort of, uh, oversized issue of this there's a small comic at the end of carol approaching kamala miss marvel um because and explaining that she has she's losing faith in herself carol Mm -hmm. she uh she sees why some of these other superheroes do what they need to do um but she feels that a lot of the reason she's doing what she needs to do is because she just always gets up like that she she's losing her sense of a greater purpose. There's just always another fight. Mm-hmm. And she asks Kamala to explain what Kamala saw in her that made Kamala choose her of all superheroes as her, her icon to follow in the footsteps of. Mm-hmm. And Kamala shows, uh, takes her on a walk through the neighborhood and shows, um, a woman who was helped by Captain Marvel once upon a time. Mm-hmm. And then that woman, uh, after her life was saved, opened a uh, a respite for homeless people. Uh, homeless people? I... She started doing more public service. I, I might right. be getting the details wrong. I'm get, I might, or getting them mixed up. Um, or just for the less fortunate. or um, And then a someone who was taking advantage of her services was connected to the resources he needed to build a small library. Mm-hmm. And then someone who was reading books from his small library read enough, dreamed of going to medical school and got her start reading medical textbooks that he got in his library and is now going to college. And then she saved the life of a shopkeeper by identifying the symptoms of a heart attack when he collapsed Mm. in the store one day and Kamala explained that all of these were ripples from something Carol did Mm -hmm. and seeing those ripple effects that every life a superhero saves could save countless lives. It's just a really neat perspective to have. It's a really cute little short story. Um, And it's something that the superhero stories like, Sometimes they get a chance to show it, and but when they do dwell on it, it's always just really like feel good. Yeah. Um. And it's just a nice close to a to a bit of a special issue for Captain Marvel. Uh, so I gave this one, in terms of the the actual issue, uh, it's probably s- slightly higher by the inclusion of this short story, but the conclusion of the Strange Magic arc uh, really just wrapped up a couple things that were ongoing in not in like a really dramatic way. Mm. So I only gave this one a 7.5 out of 10. 
yeah, I ended up giving this one a 7.75 out of 10. Um, just because I, I really did like the, the backup story. And um, I was kind of excited to see it because um, it, it's both written and drawn by Jamie McKelvey, who did the um, redesigns for uh, Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel. Um, and I guess this is like his first chance actually getting to, to draw them, you know, in a story. Um, and, I, and I thought it was just a really good story, and it, you know, it, it came in and really connected with the characters, um, and so that was nice. And then as for the main story, you know, wrapping up the strange magic stuff, um, you know, it, it was solid and it, it did its job, but um, I, I don't know that I'm entirely interested in it, um, or, or you know, have have really been that interested in it. Uh, but you know, it, it was solidly written and it had some some pretty decent artwork, I would say. So. You know, that's that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm excited to see where Captain Marvel goes next. If, uh, in fact, she did make an enemy of the magic community and we can expect to see some of that shake loose in the next part of her story, mm-hmm. I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, and also, and this is just as a side little joke because it made me laugh, uh, there is a uh special Liefeld Deadpool variant cover for this issue. Oh god. So if uh if the cover of Captain Marvel issue 30 has a little too much feet for you, you can you can pick up a Liefeld variant where I promise you, once again, it ends at Captain Marvel's kneecaps. Yes. <laughs> as as it will always do in his artwork. <laughs> I uh, I picked up a, a copy of um I was I was in a, a comic store in, in Los Angeles was on vacation and um, I, I saw this and I, I'd heard of this series before but um, you said Liefeld that made me think of this but it's a, a I guess a like three issue series called Judgment Day by Alan Moore and um, and Rob Liefeld and literally the cover is just like like it's just these extreme close ups on faces and they have like the bazillion teeth that Liefeld will always draw and then you flip to the first cover and it's just like the smallest feet you could possibly imagine <laughs> so it's it, I was just like oh Jesus I know exactly what you mean <laughs> all right and now let's move on to an exciting new uh Spider-Man comic that's kicking off with Sinister War number one uh, Sinister War number one comes to us by Nick Spencer on writing. Uh, pencils by Mark Bagley, ink by Andy Owens and Andrew Hennessy and John Dell. Color by Brian Reber and lettering by Joe Caramagna. Uh, so I'll pass the Sinister War over to Brandon. Yeah, um, despite being a, a you know a first issue of an event, I can't say that a ton happens. It's more just like... If you've been reading Amazing Spider-Man, it's a, it's the culmination of a lot of things, so you really just kind of have to expect that. Um, but you know, the issue kicks off with, uh, I guess, continuing an earlier conversation between Strange and Mephisto about what Peter Parker has done with his soul, whether it was voluntary or involuntary, and alluding towards some things from One More Day that may or may not come up again. It's not uh, fully aware. But we cut to the big premiere of MJ's new movie. If you had read uh, The Amazing Mary Jane, you would know that MJ was working on a movie alongside the hotshot director Cage McKnight, 
aka Mysterio in disguise, uh, <laughs> who basically wanted his big break at making his own movie and a chance at redemption. But Pete doesn't know that, and he won't know that, at least not for a while, uh, because he is focused on more important things, namely the big proposal to MJ in the hopes that he can ask her to marry him. But in the midst of all of this melodrama, of course, we have to insert some other stuff from our lovely Spider-Man villains, in particular the Savage Six, who were planning their big revenge after the events of uh, Amazing Barry Jane on the new film. Uh, intercut with that is some monologue from Kindred, who is basically narrating about all these things that are going to come soon, all these things that are coming to a head, in particular all the work that he has done over the past 70 issues uh, that's leading to here. Uh, but in the midst of the premiere, as the movie is just about to start, the Savage Six show up, wreak havoc, only to be upstaged, like almost immediately, I might add, by <laughs> the Sinister Six, who show up to cause their own mayhem, in particular trying to capture Mysterio, who knows, or likely knows, that this has something to do with Kindred, as the Sinister Six are, at this time, working for Kindred. Um, so they end up duking it out, both the Savage Six and the Sinister Six, I guess just because, uh, but somehow it all works out for them because Mysterio is able to get the upper hand, sensing that the only way to get past this is to simply go along with it and ends up kidnapping MJ uh, before Pete gets knocked out by Doc Ock. Pete awakes in a strange and kind of grimy subterranean era subterranean area where sees kindred immediately launches after him only to be quickly thrown to the side uh before kindred reveals that this was all in his master plan that these things are all coming to a head uh right now right here as all of the sinister and savage six as well as foreigner and pretty much everyone who got screwed over this entire run is about to have their revenge and, of course, with all that chaos, there's only one way that you could bookend this, and that's with the revelation that the only way that Strange is going to find out just how Peter Parker did something to his soul is by playing a game with Mephisto. And, of course, mm -hmm. if you know anything about Mephisto, you know that games of chance and anything else are naturally his specialty. but They don't always end very well, so I'd say... Be very, very careful, Doctor Strange. Be very careful indeed. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Um, yeah, this was a you know a solid enough start, I would say. Um, I mean, this run is still juggling like ten different plot threads, so I have no idea how they're going to wrap it all up in you know this four issue mini series, as well as in the main Spider Man book. But I, I guess we'll see. Um, like I said, a lot of it was just the fight between Pete, the Savage Six, and the Sinister Six. Um, and I guess, you know, Pete gets a little more clarity on the fact that Cage McKnight is Mysterio, and we're, you know, still driving forward the plot that Pete wants to propose to MJ. But other than that, wasn't a ton of new and major revelations. It's really just kind of continuing the story and seeing where it all leads. So, um, you know, like I said, it was solid enough. But um, I think I think we really need a bigger push if we're going to try and 
wrap this all up in a clean way, especially if that's what Nick Spencer is trying to do. Um, so I ended up giving this one a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, I I loved the concept that was, pre- it was only present for a couple pages of this actual issue, but the concept of a Sinister Six and a Savage Six, like a bunch of villains having conflicting motivations about another villain, like with Mysterio's movie, mm-hmm. that cracked me up. Yeah. I, because like they're all bad people and they all are people who have turned to violence and crime when mm-hmm. things didn't go their way. So them being two separate groups who be, being like, screw Mysterio. That guy sucks. He yeah. pissed us off. So let's go screw, like screw up his movie. Exactly. I loved that. Like that made me laugh. And I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that as an idea. And I really enjoyed the idea of, you know, every once in a while they'll do one of these Spider-Man comics where they do draw attention to the fact that his rogues gallery is absurd. It's just, oh, there's yeah. so many of them. <laughs> so got... many just crazy characters. Exactly. He's got so many villains and almost all of them like where a lot of villains dis- are like antagonistic to their heroes. You'll see issues where like we just talked about Captain Marvel can go to Enchantress mm-hmm. and they can talk like, but Spidey, one of the common things that runs through his villains is they hate him. Like, they just, they really, really hate him. Yeah. So seeing those characters all come together and just all being a bunch of people who would do anything to punch him in the face. It's it's good. It's interesting and it's funny. And then they start adding in Kindred. And I'm like, okay, right. We're still dealing with that. And then they start adding in references to One More Day. Oh, geez. And it's like, oh, I think we're bring. I think we're taking on a little much. Yeah. Like, One More Day is a pretty famously derided comic event as being a pretty big retcon that a lot of people didn't like at the time. Uh, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. So having Doctor Strange muddling in that when I guess ostensibly Pete is trying to move back down the path of the events he traded away in one more day like he's trying to propose to Mary Jane and that's sort of what he gave up to reset everything mm-hmm. so like I could totally see maybe they're tying, trying to tie Kindred to the side effects of one more day and or something like i don't know it's i want to see it do well but i don't have the highest of hopes yeah i'm i'm cautiously optimistic but i just you know i'm i'm worried that they won't be able to just wrap it up as cleanly as i might like in the next couple issues but i i guess we'll have to see mhm yeah i i gave uh I gave this issue a 7 out of 10. It's it's not bad at all, and it's got some really good moments. And it's really just a hit list of villains. Like, if you just want to see, you know, Craven, Doc Ock, Vulture, Electro, Sandman, just all come out swinging. Yeah. Like, they're all here. It's a, it's a mess of a panel, and it's oh, kind of yeah. wonderful. But 
if it ends up being an issue of Spidey fleeing from 12 to 30 villains. <laughs> Jesus. Like, it could be a pretty good series of just Spider-Man getting attacked on every single direction. Oh, yeah. Um, But yeah, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, like I said, you know, it wasn't the... It wasn't the most important issue, but it's it's continuing the story, and it was it was solid in that way. So, yeah, you know, it, it did a good job. Mm-hmm. All right, and then our last full review to talk about today, we've got Gamma Flight issue number two, brought to us with writing by Al Ewing and Crystal Frazier, art by Lan Medina, color by Antonio Fabela, and letters by Joe Sabino. So this one continues where the last one ended off with uh, Puck, Titania, and uh, Sasquatch uh, trying to rescue Stockpile from uh, from Scar, who has just reappeared into their lives, um, despite getting a short call out that he has been missing for many years since his Hulk Gamma powers were cured, which evidently they are not. And we see Scar fighting them. We see the Hulkbuster unit show up to try and stop him. And we see a lot of fighting and a lot of drama between Sasquatch and sort of the the bad things that he's done that he's trying to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. As well as we see um, uh, Absorbing Man, uh, Victor Creel. Mm-hmm. Victor? Um, or is it Crusher Creel? Carl Crusher Creel. I don't. Carl know. Crusher Creel. Yeah. Um, he decides to use his powers to replicate uh, Doctor McGowan's teleporter. He turns mm-hmm. himself into a teleporter so he can try and save his wife and yeah. and the rest of Gamma Flight. So they they show up and they throw down and there's a bit more um, characterization of the characters as they're coming together as a team. And they're like, I really liked uh, Titania and Sasquatch having their, they have a pretty heated argument while fighting Mm -hmm. in this issue. And they, they keep kind of being a little surprised that they're still arguing about it while dealing with Scar. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, the issue ends with, you know, Carl as a teleporter, he takes a pretty big hit while trying to teleport them away. And we we don't see the results uh, on whether or not that goes horribly wrong for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing we see is it it shows us this, you know, uh, this organization that was teased in Gamma Flight number one, that someone out there is making Gamma mutates. Yeah. And we see that it's none other than Emil Blonsky using pieces of his Gamma infused flesh to create more Gamma mutates. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to play out because I'm, I'm wondering what his, you know, his game is. Right? Yeah. Abomination. Is such a cool character when he when he's done right. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see him going. Uh, this comic it 
yeah, it continues my excitement for Gamma Flight. Like, I like it. I see the stuff that they were setting up in Immortal Hulk with, you know, I'm excited to see Rick Jones and Del Fry come into some version of a new character with their current state of being. Yeah. And, and I'm excited to see what comes out of Abomination's experiments and what they've done to get Scar on their side. Mm-hmm. Because they they remark that um, Stockpile is their most successful graft that they've mm-hmm. done so far. And it's hard to call the creature stable. Yeah. Like, she's got a very sort of alarming form. She looks very, like, constantly in pain and mm-hmm. not much. Like the usual gamma mutates we're seeing, we usually see, you know, big muscle-bound creatures. Mm-hmm created by Gamma, and she doesn't look anything like Scar, or Hulk, or Abomination, Mm. or even Doc Sasquatch. Yeah. And so having them refer to her as the most successful, it's it implies that Scar, with his weird new face claws, is not successful. Mm. And, And I don't know what that means. Like, if Scar is just working for them, like, is he just an employee, or is he being mind controlled, but he's, they don't seem to regard him as one of their own experiments, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I'm, Oh yeah, for sure. So I like this issue. I think it's a really good stepping stone into what's going to be a fun arc of them probably having to fight abomination and mm-hmm. probably get scar to either stop being mind controlled or to see the goodness in him again, or, There'll probably be some arc about getting Scar over to the good side because he's Scar. Like you don't want to. He's not a bad guy. Yeah. No. Clearly, clearly, there's something here going on with Abomination and these new Gamma mutates. That I think there's there's more than meets the eye. Um, there might be something else, but I'm definitely interested to see, you know, where they're going with that. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I ended up giving this issue a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, no, I also ended up giving this issue a 7.5 out of 10. Um, I think definitely, I, I think I enjoyed this one more than the last issue, because even though it was it was just really fun to see, like, you know, this Gamma Flight team just kind of doing their thing, I, I, it was kind of just questioning, you know, the, the point of it. Um, and... Yeah, I feel like in this issue, at least, um, I, I feel like I started to get a little more of a sense of where it's, you know, where it's going and what it might be about. Um, not with the whole story, you know, with Abomination and Scar, but at least in the way that it feels like it, it might just be kind of more of a, a focus, so, you know, almost a, a character study on this group, or I guess characters study. I don't know what the plural is, but <laughs> um, yeah, it just it feels like it, it'll serve you know, that purpose, and I think that's really cool. And, and um, I'll definitely be here for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so our, our next segment is we're going to just do a pass over some of the comics that we've uh, that we've missed in our time off. We're not going to do full reviews on them. Um, you know, we don't want to bore you with a lot of the details. 
Mm -hmm. uh, they've been around long enough that if you've been searching for reviews on them, you've probably been able to, uh, to find some information, but we do just want to touch on a couple of the big and small things that might've come up in the past month or so that we didn't, uh, have a chance to give the appropriate time to, um, so in just a couple sort of lightning roundups, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, first we want, I want to touch on the, the extreme carnage event, uh, <laughs> It's kicked off with Extreme Carnage number one a few weeks ago, and then since then we've also got Extreme Carnage Scream, and this week we got Extreme Carnage Phage, and and this is a it's a it's going to be an eight issue run with uh, a couple tie-ins about some of these symbiotes. It's really focusing on Carnage, uh, sort of returning through the the hive with Cletus Cassidy as sort of a imprinted persona and him hunting down symbiotes in a world that's now full of symbiotes hiding among us uh, in the after effects of Null. Mm -hmm. um, it, the Extreme Carnage number one, and I guess Venom 200 showed us that there's, there's symbiotes everywhere now. Yeah. Uh, and then many of them don't want to fight. They just want to live. They just want to hide. They just want to live symbiotically. And so it's also focusing the, the only hero that we really have going in this event right now is Flash Thompson anti-venom. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're seeing some of that and I'm not going to go into any too many details about the actual plot. Uh, we're just getting a lot of tie-ins right now of carnage sort of tracking down these B and C list symbiote characters <laughs> like scream and phage. Yeah. And, um, honestly as far as an event goes it's it's not wowed me yet we might do a full review on extreme carnage number two and three as they uh, as they roll in um the big ones to talk about whether or not like uh it's an event that sort of redeems itself as it goes on uh mm. but all of these tie-in issues i don't know that we're going to spend a lot of time on going forward yeah um if you uh like me are symbioted out from the events of king and black so far, this hasn't done anything to pull me back in. Uh, but if you love symbiotes and if you just love seeing characters like Phage and uh, Lasher come back, mm. then by all means, check out Extreme Carnage. But it's uh, it hasn't done anything huge yet. And there was a even a variant cover that I shared with our, our Marvel Comics group uh for the phage issue where it's spider-man talking to phage uh and he's like sorry what do you do again and he's like well i do the 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 hand blade thing he's like oh so you're carnage he's like no but i'm yellow and then spider-man says all right good talk yellow carnage uh, and that is exactly how i felt about these issues like pretty much <laughs> it was just, all just yeah they're all just very derivative yeah, it was just very self-aware and very derivative. And I was like, you know, you're making fun of it by saying the things that I say kind of seriously. <laughs> so that's the Extreme Carnage event. Uh, look out for more information uh, as Extreme Carnage 2 hits us and some of these other tie-ins. If any of them blow our mind, we'll definitely add them back to the roster. Like, But if you hear nothing but silence on Extreme Carnage, just you can... Don't assume that it's uh, because it's a, a sleeper hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, not not that. It's not not that. I I don't predict it will be. Yeah. 
Um, next on our list, we've got Way of X number four. Way of X number four just continues a favorite comic that's been running of mine. Um, with it shows um, the ongoing struggle of getting mutants to to figure out what what the psychic threat that is accosting them is, and um, it's just a really good stepping stone issue with Legion and Nightcrawler trying to figure out what's going on and what they can do to help people. Um, tensions are rising and steps are being made to stop Onslaught, and it's a good mm-hmm. issue. It continues a strong journey that I I hope we see more of, and sort of the continued formulation of potentially one of X-Men's weirdest teams right now of Dr. Nemesis, Nightcrawler, and Legion. Yeah, and with a little bit of Fabian Cortez, I guess, since he's been booted out of sword. Yeah, and he he's hanging out with them now, and we've got... Um, We've got some fun stuff growing there, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, so if yeah. you have if you haven't heard from us so far that Way of X is good, it really is. I highly recommend checking it out. And then next we've got America Chavez number four. Uh, this continues the pretty steep retcon we've got about America Chavez and her past. Um, America Chavez, made in the USA, has now established that she was instead of being from an alternate universe of superheroes raised by her mothers who were both wonderful superheroes, she was in fact a girl with a disease who was given superpowers in a lab somewhere off the Pacific. Or Atlantic. Somewhere yeah. somewhere on an isolated island somewhere. Yeah. Um, as someone who's a big fan of America Chavez as a character, uh, I don't love the retcon I hope they do something more interesting with it. And it's it's not serving a great piece for me in in the comics I'm reading. Like I'm not ever since they established the retcon, I'm getting less and less excited for each subsequent issue of America. Which is a bummer because uh issue one and two, I was like, okay, let's see where this is going. And now I'm just like, ah, fine. <laughs> yeah, that that sucks. And I mean, I don't know. Like, I I haven't had a chance to read the miniseries yet, and I don't know. I'd I I'd like to at some point, but it just this that huge retcon and other things don't really give me a lot of hope for it. And that, that's unfortunate because I think it just kind of takes away from some of the things, some of the aspects of her origin that made her really you know stand out. I think, but. Because the you know the fact that she was this, um, and I guess that's the thing that's I, I guess I'm still confused on. But maybe the book will give more clarity when I read it. But um, I thought you know her whole deal, especially in the Ultimates, um, was that she could just kind of go from you know multiverse to multiverse or you know universe to universe um, because she had come from that uh, utopian parallel, and it basically gave her this knowledge of these various places but now i guess it's i don't know all implanted in her brain or something it, it's very strange and and I, yeah I, I just i mean maybe that like i said maybe the book will give more context but to me that just seems like a very strange retcon and kind of takes away from the unique aspects of her being a, a multiversal figure well and that's the, that's the weird thing is it doesn't seem to retcon her powers mm-hmm. like she still seemingly can go to these other universes yeah Mm. Um, at least that's all that we've seen so far just Mm. that her origin has nothing to do with being from another multiverse or Mm. another universe 
And it, see, it retcons so much. And if you're a fan of America Chavez, if you read the Ultimates and learned about her character there, and if you read the last America Chavez run, um, like which introduced more details on her her mother's. And even she got visions from her grandmother to help her explore her powers. That all seemingly is retconned by this. And the I think the biggest retcon, at least the one that matters the most to me, is if if you became been a fan of her since the Young Avengers. Oh yeah. In her in her arc there, she explains that Wiccan becomes the demiurge, who is sort of this grand being in her universe. Mm-hmm. And that she knew him. She recognized Wiccan and she had a relationship with him because of that. Yeah. And so if that was all a delusion, like it, it, it retcons so much from everything she's touched. It it seems, it seems almost irresponsibly retconned. Like I I just like, it almost doesn't make sense. Mm hmm. I can't think of a lot of retcons that really like hit on this scale for me in, in recent memory. Mm-hmm. So it just it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, no, I I mean, you know, like I said, I, I hope I hope at some point I can check it out, but um, that that doesn't sound very encouraging. Hmm. All right, Brandon, I'll pass it over to you for your uh, your headline hit list yeah i've got a couple lightning rounds that i I just want to breeze through so i'll I'll get through those pretty quickly um but first up we have immortal hulk number 48 this issue really focuses on the reunion between betty uh uh and uh I, i can't really call him bruce anymore he's he's a gamma infused cosmic hulk sort of with the brain of Joe Fixit. Um, so I, I guess if that little sentence gives you any context, that's where Hulk is at right now. But this issue really focuses on their relationship and how it has grown and changed, how Betty feels about Joe, how Joe feels about Betty, how Joe seemingly came into existence being this idealized version of what an adult is that Bruce came up with when he was a kid and ultimately leading to a, a final confrontation between Betty and Joe that makes Betty flee, but kind of pushes uh, Joe into a place where he's like, it's time to stop screwing around. We need to get Bruce back. Um, And so it seems like they're going to venture into the below place and find a way to get Bruce back from the leader. We'll have to see how they're going to do that, but I'm definitely here for it. It seems like he's got a little team too with, uh, you know, the rest of these gamma freaks and I guess She-Hulk too. Um, So We'll see where that all leads, but you know I'm still really digging it. I, I wouldn't say this was the most important issue. This was definitely a slower one that just kind of focuses on the relationship here and um, sets up the final three issues. So if you're already on the Immortal Hulk train, you know you're, you're probably going to enjoy this issue. But uh, other than that, you know that's that's about it. Yeah, I really liked the. Uh, the intro into Joe Fix, or sorry, the view into the Joe Fix It creation, like mm-hmm. how he created Joe Fix It, that really mm-hmm. stood out to me in that issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Immortal Hulk's coming to a close. We've got two more issues left, and I think they're both going to be really good. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but next up, we have Beta Ray Bill number four. Uh, this one was a pretty quick issue too. It was pretty much just Bill and uh, his ship, um, whose name I am blanking on right now, um, that had seemingly come alive, and the issue basically focuses on um, him and uh, the ship. What is her name? Why am I forgetting? It's like something with an S. Do you remember? Um, S- like something. Uh, S- Scuttle? No. Yes, Scuttlebutt. That was Scuttlebutt. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, but yeah, the the issue largely just focuses on them trying to remove some uh, toxic stuff from the ship so that uh, it can be free and Bill can move forward to get Surtur's blade, uh, which he tries to do, but unfortunately is knocked back because he is not quite yet worthy. Leading to the big reveal that Surtur himself has been trying to get that sword and is looking for someone that he can face to pro- to finally prove his worthiness uh, to take up the blade once more. Uh, as we have been doing, this issue is great. Like we, or as we've been doing, we've been gushing about this issue. It's it's great as usual, and just is continuing this really great focus on Beta Ray Bill. And and like uh, it's kind of almost sad that it's you know it's almost over, but yeah, I definitely feel satisfied with the story, and I'm I'm really. Looking forward, much like with Spider Shadow, to seeing how this all wraps up, um, and I'm, I'm expecting big things. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's been a good run, and, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Bill is such a cool character, and he's been explored mm-hmm. so well by uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. Oh yeah. Yeah, but next up we have X Men number one. This is the big relaunch even though we just had our relaunch two years ago but i guess marvel likes number one so here we are again uh this is jerry duggan taking over the roles of the main x-men writer after jonathan hickman finished up his run uh, and he's joined by the incredibly talented pepe Larraz and marta gracia who brings some truly breathtaking artwork uh the issue is pretty much mostly a setup issue um about what you would expect setting up some new enemies in particular an industrialist who was very upset by the x-men terraforming mars um i feel like this new industrialist is a very subtle if not so subtle jab at uh some other famous mars industrialists that i'm sure you've heard of i don't even need to say their names you you know who i'm talking about if you know what i'm alluding to uh but other than that uh, the issue focuses on the X-Men setting up their new headquarters in Manhattan, in a treehouse, of course. Um, basically, you know, trying to, to set things up for their new status quo as the public X-Men team of Krakoa. And of course, what would the new public team be without a big monster to fight as a monster shows up in Midtown? The X-Men are called to fight, uh, and they do so with a super cool mech robot that they're able to use to take down the monster and save the day and everyone cheers them on and it's a very nice moment for the x-men trying to i guess regain their trust and uh we see where the monster came from and is clearly alluding to some future confrontations with uh earth as well as the x-men um and in addition we see the industrialist 
asking the most important question, which is how are the X-Men who have seemingly died so many times bringing their dead back to life? And how can I replicate that technology for my own uh, game? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was a, a really strong start. Um, I think 50 to 60% of that is because Pepe Larraz is doing the art. He's just so amazing. And like all the, you know, sequences where the X-Men are fighting with the, you know, giant monster or, or even anything else is, it's just, it's just gorgeous to look at. Um, and, you know, it, it just works so well in so many different ways. And um, I just, I thought it was a really strong start art-wise. Story is good. Like I said, mostly set up um, a lot of stuff that we kind of already knew. So um, I guess we'll just, you know, have to have to see where it goes from here. I'm interested to see what this, I guess, kind of like casino planet type place is, is going to do about planet Earth and, and how exactly they plan to, to go forward with their plans, um, as well as this industrialist figure. Um, so hopefully we'll get some of those revelations soon, but I'm, I'm definitely along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, uh, I really like this, and I like what they're building up here. And I, this doesn't really strike as news, but I maybe should have brought it up in the news segment. I thought it was interesting in a recent interview. The creators of this X Men number one, um, and I think I don't know if Hickman was part of it, but they, in an interview, they said they thought it would be really cool to do something like the Hellfire Gala, and specifically an X Men election every oh. year so to introduce a concept of if Krakoa stays this growing nation and the X-Men become this this team of the nation's heroes having that mm-hmm. nation get together and nominate who they want to be their heroes mm-hmm. every year I think would be really cool yeah for sure um, so I'm excited to see where this series picks up it's cool to see an X-Men relaunch um, again. <laughs> but I like it, and I am and I like the team. Yeah, me too. Uh, and finally, for our lightning reviews, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 70. This one will be the most lightning fast review because literally it is a check-in issue. It is setting up things for Sinister War. So, I mean, that's it. We check in with Lizard, who has seemingly been separated from his body, or at least the uh, body of Kurt Connors has been separated from the Lizard. Check in with Boomerang. We check in with everyone else. All of it is really just setting up things, particularly Kindred setting up things, um, and seeing how everything is coming to a head, much like in Sinister War, um, to see you know what's going to happen. But that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> like there's not much else to say. Yeah, it was a good issue, but mm. Sinister War is kicking off, and we're we're going to see the effects of that soon. Yeah. Um. All right, so now let's move on to our uh, our best and our worst of the week. Uh, Brandon, what were your what were your your big hits, and what was your uh? Let's start with big hits. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, I guess we can't really do a top three for this week since we've kind of covered a, a large amount of stuff. But if I had to choose the top three, 
from these um, issues, I probably put at number three, Guardians of the Galaxy, number 16, um, just a really strong, solid start to uh, the last Annihilation event. Um, at number two, this one was kind of hard because um, it's, it's you know hard to say exactly which one was better uh, between these two, but I would put Thor, number 15, and Moon Knight, number one, as my number two. These two just kind of tied. You know, they're, they're just on that same level for me, and they both did a really solid job of setting stuff up. Uh, but at number one, I had Spider Shadow, number four. This one was really just hit me this week as a, as a, a strong installment in the story and has me, you know, pulled right back into the story and uh, uh, definitely looking forward to how it all wraps up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my top three is uh, going to sound very familiar. I had Thor in third place, Moon Knight number one in second place. Excited to see more of that one. Mm-hmm. And Spider Shadow really impressed me. And yeah. I hope it ends with a, with a bang because it's a good... Uh, it's a good, good little adventure in a what if comic, and I'm very rarely this impressed by what if entries. So, oh yeah, yeah, it's it's just doing a really really good job. Hmm. And so now we uh, we always we do review a lot of comics, so there's always one that gets the uh, famous <laughs> title of the biggest stinker. So Brandon, what uh, what hasn't impressed you lately? Well. Of the ones that we read, I don't know that any were particularly bad, but if I had to say which ones are the most unimpressive, that would probably go to the Extreme Carnage event. It's just, you know, it's kind of there. And it's, like I said, it's not terrible. You could do a lot worse. It's just not not all that great, if I'm being entirely honest. And and I'm, I'm very much like you. I'm kind of done with the symbiotes after King and Black. Like, I can... They just need a break, and, and I feel like they chose a really poor time to do this. I mean, I know they're trying to capitalize on the series and explore a lot of stuff, but it, it just feels like overload, and I'm, I'm not all that interested in these side characters, these you know forgotten symbiotes from the 90s that I, I just don't really care all that much about. So uh, Extreme Carnage event is my biggest stinker for this week. Uh yeah, for me as well. Extreme Carnage Phage was definitely the weakest comic I got to read this week. Mm. Um, it, it just didn't impress me in any real material way. And I just, I have a lot of trouble, you know, recommending people go that route until the com- until they release something with the Extreme Carnage label on it that really impresses me. It's it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to give that one a place next to some of these that, you know, even if we're giving them sevens out of ten, like we're still, you know, we're still enjoying and it's just yeah i don't want to put a number score on extreme carnage phage but i i'm just gonna say it point blank i was bored (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough all right that's the show everyone uh hope you enjoyed it thank you all for coming and thank you brandon for reviewing these comics for me of course of course uh, once again, we want to shout out to our Patreons, thank them uh, for helping us out with just a dollar or more a month, and thank you to our listeners. Remember, you can hit us up on the socials, send us show mail, or just get involved and share that you know uh, our reviews are helping you out and helping you choose which comics to read and maybe which ones to skip. We know Marvel releases a nonstop flow of comics, and whether you've enjoyed our material or you've enjoyed what we're doing, just uh, 
give us a shout. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know where we can improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find us also on uh, at notarobotpodcast.com where you can see the rest of our network shows. We've got a lot of people doing uh, some really great stuff. A lot of people passionate about all kinds of interests. So if whether you're listening to comics or watching war movies, uh, DC comics, we've got uh, a pop culture podcast, horror movie podcast, anime. It's You name it, it's out there. We've got such a big network and it's growing. And with your support, we can bring more and more content to all the different genres that you love. Mm-hmm. With all that said, there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be robot.